We often hear that Christians live under grace, meaning that God will forgive their sins so long as they seek repentance. But if Christians will always be forgiven, doesn't this create a moral loophole? Why do anything good? You can always apologize for your sins after you commit them. And besides, since God is contractually obligated to forgive you, why not do what you want now and then think about the consequences later? This formula is often abused because the underlying theology is largely misunderstood. And not only that, it pushes people away from Christianity. Today, we're going to talk about the doctrine of grace. I'm Bailey. I'm Michael. And I'm David. And welcome back to the Facing the Gates podcast. Uh, last time we talked about sin, what it do be. Go check it out if you haven't already. Um, we're, as I mentioned in the last episode, recording remotely. Um, we're trying Skype this time instead of Discord, and hopefully there won't be any weird glitches so if there were any weird glitches that made it into the episode last time hopefully there won't be now anyway on to the actual topic um i wanted to discuss this topic because one it is theologically relevant to our previous discussions with pastors and two it prevents people from becoming christian and i believe that anything that is a hurdle for people becoming christian should be addressed they see hypocritical Christians who don't take their sins seriously, live however they want, and have a general do-it-now-remember-it-later approach to grace, and don't want to be a part of that, which on some level I can understand. But I think this is an issue, um, I think this issue brings up a couple of related theological discussions, as well as practical living for Christians. So, to kind of start out, uh, what do you guys think about this abuse of grace issue? I personally, I don't, with me understanding it, I don't see an issue because just because grace can be given doesn't mean you can always just rely on it to do whatever the hell you want because on one hand in the Hebrew religions, you're speaking of a graceful God, but also of a vengeful God. There's always going to be two sides of that hand there. Right. And so I don't see it necessarily as a fallback in most views. Gotcha. Um, yeah, so this is obviously not everyone is going to fall into this. There are just certain people that have a very elementary understanding of the doctrine of grace that like to be like, oh, well, I can abuse that. And and it's oftentimes an excuse to not go deeper or understand it any deeper um or it's uh, sometimes a shallow reason to reject christianity um but <clears throat> what what i kind of wanted to do in this episode is kind of break this doctrine down so that we can 
understand what it is. This is one of the few theological topics we are going to discuss. Um, there's a lot of theology we could get into, but for the purposes of this show, um, I think it, it's best to discuss things that have real-world implications. Not saying that other topics don't, but we're being selective about what we do and don't talk about for this show. Um, anyway, sorry about that. <clears throat> First of all, uh, we need to have a proper understanding of the doctrine of grace. Grace is the idea that God will forgive us of our sins if we repent. Repentance is turning away from sin. So if we say, I'm sorry, and then we go do it again, we aren't really sorry. You can't fool, you cannot fool God. You can, however, fool yourself. Um, so grace, when properly understood, is a good and beautiful thing about Christianity. Worshiping a God who understands that we're not perfect and will forgive us when we fall is completely unique to the Judeo-Christian worldview. Other religions have a malevolent, impatient deity that doesn't have time for human error. <clears throat> so, uh, but the Christian God, the Christian God gets us because he made us. So grace is a good thing. Um, so when people abuse this system of grace, they're not fooling God, the omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent entity who is above all and created humanity and established the earth underneath their feet. You can't fool that guy. In fact, abusers of grace are, aren't even fooling their neighbors. Uh, we all know people who live one way on Sunday and live another way the rest of the week. Most people aren't fooled by this type of behavior because most people understand that if you really believe something, there will be real-life implications to that belief. We have definitional standards for people who claim they're this or that. By definition... A married man is not a bachelor. Similarly, by definition, a Christian is morally obligated to take their sins seriously. The only person who is being fooled by is the fool who abuses grace. All right, so that, I'll, I'll let you guys talk now. I mean, yeah, you're just playing with yourself at that point. It, it's just manipulating your own mindset and... One lie leads to a million lies. Right. David. Got anything to add, David? I don't want to. I want. I want to pull David in here because he's just going to be silent. He's just not going to be existent in these these episodes. Apparently. <laughs> well, from kind of what you and Michael were talking about, kind of falls into like the previous episode where. The only per well, as you said, the only person fooling is the fool themselves. Though, on that in that case, not always because you know <coughs> people do have lived double lives and stuff. But the main core is like God knows because He's omnipresent, omniscient, omniscient. Right. All knowing yeah. knows all things things knows he does okay well uh, I guess we'll go into the probably controversial part of this episode um, which is is related to grace but uh, 
it, it <clears throat> with with this issue of grace kind of addressed at least on a fundamental level it bleeds into a more broad question uh, which is why do good works if they're not mandatory for salvation uh, so I'm gonna make some of my Protestant friends probably angry here um, but I will actually cite many Protestants in saying this because actually good works are required if you're going to call yourself a Christian Nearly every pastor we interviewed, regardless of their theological convictions, all quoted the same passage when we asked them this question. They quoted James 2, verses 17 to 18. <clears throat> faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. They are inextricably intertwined. If you don't have them both, you're in trouble. Uh, so obviously, uh, this is where I, I start to offend people. So just prepare your butts. I'm sorry. <clears throat> Sola fide or faith alone is unbiblical. <clears throat> In fact, it goes against what the Bible explicitly says. James 2.24 says, you see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. This is an explicit biblical refutation of one of the pillars of the Protestant Reformation. People will try and make the text say something else in order to avoid the theological implications of this verse. But I find it very telling that Martin Luther put the book of James in an, appendix, in an, in an appendix in his translation of the Bible, calling it an epistle of straw. In fact, Jesus himself even said in Matthew 7, verse 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Uh, so I'm going to pause there and let you guys give your thoughts before I continue to offend Protestants. Yeah, I mean, just because I, I look at it this way. Just because you say you believe something means nothing. You still have to show the personal growth that shows, yeah, I'm not just saying empty words here because words without actions are empty. You can say you're going to go walk a mile every day, but until I see you get up and do it, you're not believing what you're saying. Right. And so that... <coughs> Yeah, that's why I fully agree in not just with Christianity, but in my eyes, any believer of a religion is taking upon itself a lifestyle. Because if you look at monks, whether Christian, Buddhist, whatever, they took that to the, to the point. They are living their beliefs 100%. And even if you look at a ancient religions like the Romans they killed a lot of people because they said a god of war said to kill them they were living through their beliefs and so innately in my eyes as a human if you're going to say you believe something you have to put the work in you have to show that you really do believe it or else it's just empty philosophical babble going in your ear and out the other Right. Yeah, this is why I'm I'm 
and we've talked about this several times and obviously there will people who dis be people who disagree but i don't believe in once saved always saved um precisely for this reason um and, and you kind of echoed this show me your faith without your works and i will show you my faith by my works mm -hmm. So if, yeah. you, if you're not backing up what you say you believe with your actions, then do you really believe it at all? Yeah, and it doesn't even have to be something you intentionally <clears throat> do. It could just be, oh, well, there's this one guy stuck on the road. Help him fix his tire. You know, just normal Tuesday. Just responding to that and thinking, oh, yeah, I did that. So what? Helping their person out. That can... You don't even have to intentionally do it sometimes, which I think a lot of the that crowd doesn't think about because right. they might be doing it kind of <clears throat> habitually because they help a lot of people, but they're just like, oh, yeah, that that's nothing to do with my faith. It's like, but it is. Right. Yeah. I think Father Mark put it best, and this may be a slight bastardization of what he said. But the left hand should not know what the right does. The good works you do is because of your faith, not searching for your faith. It's right. But you're not doing it to prove yourself. You're doing it because you believe you're internalizing what you believe. Yes. And so it becomes second nature at that point. You're not going, oh, I want to be a good person. So I'm going to do this. You go, hey, let me let me do this real quick. Let me help this person or let me call up my friend, check on them that's just second nature at that point yeah because right. i mean i think probably the only time you would think about that's like oh <clears throat> they're doing like say your church is doing some movement oh this is good i haven't thought about doing stuff like this and you just make it part of your routine and then you forget you even had the thought in the first place i think for yeah. a lot of people that's kind of how it happens yeah, right one thing i've noticed is a lot of people who do say by faith alone they're the ones to kind of boast pridefully about their works that they have done yeah and i'm i'm not trying to like completely shit on this crowd or anything but i think part of it is just due to an aversion of a misunderstanding of of catholic teaching for example um because generally Protestants don't know that there are other Christian groups outside of Catholics, but um, <clears throat> they they kind of have this aversion to works-based salvation, which isn't, I mean, I guess you can make an argument for it either way, but it's not exactly really what the Catholic Church teaches. Because we interviewed a Catholic priest, and he explained that it's it's kind of like you do both you do you have faith and you do works and your works are informed by your faith and it's not really like you're trying to prove something by doing these things to appease god by doing enough stuff to get your way to heaven it's like that's that's just they they weren't and i'm going to talk about this later but the, these these ideas of faith and works they were not separated there was no distinction made for the first 1500 years of christianity that that is a very novel in the grand scheme of things distinction to be made yeah i mean fully agree with you <laughs> it is not that 
for all you people out there that feel like you're going to shit on, <coughs> we're not. We're just given the way we see things. And right, I'm not taking this out on on any person in particular. I'm just saying in general to these ideas. Um, that's that's what I think of these ideas. I don't obviously I don't think of anything ill towards people that believe that because the, most of them mean well, and most yeah. of them believe that for uh, for not ill informed re- not not out of ill intentions towards other people. They just believe that because that's what they believe is true, and they want to be faithful to God. Yeah, and on the other hand. You can't pray your way to heaven. You can't work your way to heaven. It takes a little bit of everything, and it takes grace. And it takes right. humility. It takes all of those things. I, I had right. another point, but my mind went blank, so I'll give it back <laughs> to you. Okay. Um, so the question of how to be saved according to Christianity isn't actually as clear-cut as you might think. As Dr. Eugenia Constantinou states, quote, The New Testament itself presents no formulas. One must love God and love his neighbor as himself. One must keep the commandments. One must accept Lord Jesus. One must be baptized. One must feed the hungry and give drink to the thirsty. One must believe in the Son whom the Father has sent. Other responses could also be given. But which is the right answer? The answer is all of them, or maybe none of them. Why? Perhaps so that we will not be certain of our individual salvation, not become proud, not rely on ourselves, not become complacent, and not believe that we are already saved with nothing at all needed on our part. End quote. Uh, So I actually just read that last night when I started this book called Thinking Orthodox which is kind of about the <clears throat> distinction of Eastern and Western ways of thinking um, for context. It, she's predominantly explaining like how and, and contrasting how Catholics and Protestants think in a Western way with how Orthodox think in a more Eastern way. Um, now granted I'm not super far into that book so I can't tell you much more about it but I can tell you it's definitely going to be interesting because it's already started to get me thinking about how I think Um, oh yeah because I mean that just the societal difference from more individualistic towards more kind of collectivist yeah collectivist it doesn't just go through religion it goes through society itself right and and Making those parallels, <clears throat> even with something like different sects of Christianity, will not just show the religious aspect, but kind of the human aspect to it. Make you think, right. why that happened? Yeah, and she kind of is pointing out more of this firm legalistic exact this or that overly logical way of thinking in the west um as compared to like in in an ancient in in eastern cultures and ancient near eastern cultures which christianity came out of and all of the abrahamic religions for that matter 
um, they didn't think the way that we think in these like absolute logical terms um, that we've developed in the West. So it's it's important to kind of understand the cultural framework from which the religion originated, so that you can understand what their what the people who wrote that were thinking and how they meant these things. Because if we're meaning these meaning every if we're reading scripture and it's like this this means exactly this and we can pinpoint it as exactly this one thing this is what it means you're you're missing part of it because to nail something down as absolute as this is exactly what it means is inherently limiting to what it is what it's meant to do yeah and doing that a lot of times is done in a very cherry picking way of I found this little thing. It needs to be exact. You cannot stray to the left, to the right, <clears throat> in a little gray area on this subject. And also, one thing, touching back on the salvation part, the name Christian means, if I remember right, to be Christ-like. It means little Christ. Yeah, little Christ. And when I look at how the what you should do as a Christian is to replicate not replicate but do your best to put those lessons forthward and to have a lifestyle trying to be Christ like Christ like. Right. Yeah. And that's one unique thing to me about just Christianity as a name. Yeah. I think people Obviously, you said it very black and white on things like that when it's different for everybody. Right. Another thing on the note of um, having this absolute kind of black and white reading of of text at times, um, our English translations of the Bible will only be so good because there are a lot of places in the Bible, whether it's the Old Testament, New Testament, whether it's Hebrew or Greek, the original authors chose deliberately vague words in places, and sometimes that have multiple meanings, that when you translate them into English, it's never going to be exactly the same. And so you, when, you, when you say there's like a Greek word, that means like it could mean three things, or it could mean all of them. But when you translate that into English, you're only picking one of those three things. So you're automatically losing part of the meaning there when you translate it. So our translations are, are just that. They're just translations. They're never going to be, I mean, unless you read it in the original language, you're never going to get the full understanding of it. And on top of that, even if you read it in the original language and you understand it, you may not fully understand it. You know, yeah, so there's, yeah, there's the so much context. depth to it. And right. the kind of, at least where we live, one thing we talked to a few people about at the Russian Orthodox was the kind of lack of, say, the mysticism. Because right. there's that kind, I mean, you're dealing with a supernatural being, something <clears throat> that falls into that line. It's like, but in where we are, it's like very cut and dry. Like, yep, he's there, but oh, why? Yeah. That, and yeah. also that that's why for any religion you need to learn when to read in the lines 
in between the lines. Mm-hmm. And also, you need to do your research on the... And this goes for any religion, guys. Not just Christianity, Judaism, but any religion. You need to look at the cultural relevance and the things that were happening at the time that was wrote. Because what we lose from translations sometimes can be not quite gained, but more understood by looking at the cultural relevance of the time in the area it was wrote. Right. Definitely context is key. Um, So, um, kind of getting back to this topic, uh, let's talk about why people oppose this reading of the text and i'm not i'm not trying to uh impose or psychoanalyze anyone but if i were to speak in general i do believe that ultimately in protestant circles a lot of them at least ways it is out of a historical allergic reaction to anything that sounds like catholicism now i have my own gripes with aspects of the catholic church but I'm not going to dismiss that they've had a massive impact throughout the history of Christianity. And as I mentioned before, the historic view was that faith and works were inextricably connected. It is only after the Reformation that they became separated and viewed as some kind of opposing reality. Now, that all being said, I know um, some Protestants will probably say, But Paul made that distinction in the book of Romans, to which I would respond, yes, he used phrases like works of the law and faith, but works of the the law refers to the Old Testament law, not good deeds. Um, You then have to understand what the purpose of the Old Testament law even was, and it wasn't salvation, it was a means of managing and atoning for sins. But that gets into a much deeper theological rabbit hole that I'm not going to go down this episode. Uh, If you're interested in what the purpose of the Old Testament was, I'll refer you to the Lord of Spirits podcast. Uh, I don't know if I said anything there that that you guys want to comment on before we get back to the topic of grace, because we kind of went on this this other sidebar about like salvation. But go ahead. And well, just one last thing. When you're looking at faith and works, look at the Savior himself, Jesus of Nazareth. He didn't just say words. He put his money where his mouth was. He put himself, he he died on a cross. He wrecked markets in the temple. He fed the hungry, healed the sick. Like, come on. Christian means to be little Christ that means you should put your money where your mouth is too and follow your beliefs that's just one little tangent right. that hit my head <laughs> real quick by the way this is completely side topic I don't know I might have already said this but do you know why they called him Jesus of Nazareth or why it says that like in the text I... it's, it's gonna be obvious but go ahead I'll I'll let you explain because it's it's because he was from Nazareth, yeah. But but Luke does that right because he's a historian. He'll say Joseph of Arimathea or 
uh, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth. That was just kind of how they didn't. That's kind of just how people knew where this person was from. That was kind of their way of citing their sources. Hey, this person is from here. You can go talk to them and verify what I'm saying. So yeah. it, it, that's kind of the concept behind that. I don't. It's obvious. Don't know if I already said it that at some point before, but pretty neat little fun fact for you. There you go. Yeah, it's a very common thing in history, too, guys. Right. Anyway, um, now that I have successfully pissed off a large portion of our listeners, uh, let's talk about we still the implication. <laughs> let's talk about the implications of the abuse of grace. Um, obviously. <clears throat> It pushes people away from Christianity when they see that Christians are hypocritical and don't live up to their own standards. So there are two responses to this. Uh, number one, Christians do need to live better lives. The fact that people cannot distinguish between a Christian and an atheist just based purely on their lives demonstrates that something is wrong. It should be obvious when someone is a Christian and Christians, including myself, need to do this better if they expect to make a difference. Uh, number two, to the person who is particularly critical and sees that Christians aren't perfect, what did you expect? Uh, of course Christians aren't perfect. That's why Jesus had to do what he did. After all the prophets in the Old Testament, after all, I mean, the, the prophets of the Old Testament, uh, Israel was still imperfect and consistently turning away from God. Jesus was perfect. He lived the law out perfectly. He fulfilled prophecies perfectly. But he was also God incarnate, so he did what he did no one else could do. The bottom line is that God had to set the example himself because humans aren't good enough to, on their own. Uh, that's the entire point of the doctrine of grace. So don't be surprised when Christians aren't perfect. Uh, I'll say one last thing and then we'll wrap up this little part here. Um, basically, if someone abuses grace, either they don't understand what grace is or they're just being human. They're giving their faith. They're given into their fallen nature and doing something wrong. But just because a Christian falls short doesn't mean that they're not Christians. It means that they're a sinner and that they need God's grace. I'll hand it over to you guys. Yeah, I mean, complaining about anybody being imperfect is just calling the kettle black. Like, it's obvious. And if... It's something that's not only in Christian texts, but in a couple other religious texts. So, right. And e even atheists acknowledge that humans are imperfect. Right. Because, and so anyone who says, oh, you can't be this because uh, you're not doing it 100% completionist, it's impossible. Impossible. And that's well, the, from an agnostic viewpoint. <laughs> yeah. And see, you get it, right? But there are some people out there, and I think a lot of Christians kind of feel this, that if they are Christian and they're outspoken about it and people know, like, they're the Christian person, people are going to hold them to a different standard. And when they slip up, it's a much bigger deal. 
this is why when there's a scandal uh, in a Christian circle somewhere, it's a huge deal because these are supposed to be the upright moral citizens of society. And they, they look at them. They made a mistake. How could they? God must not be real. Now, granted, that's obviously a slippery slope, but that's that is how it is. Yeah, and yeah. it depends but, on, say, when they mess up. Like, for example, if it was like a one-time thing, like, oh, they said a curse word, and yeah, it happens. But for an example, one person breaches a sanctity of marriage and was cheating on his wife for 20 years that's kind of the difference it's like right mm, you you were preaching exactly what you weren't doing and i think no, I, I agree with you there yeah um it's just and it's like <clears throat> yeah you don't goof we'll climb you a bit but let's figure out and get you back on track yeah it's yeah. just go ahead sorry I think and from our part of the country and what we have seen, I think one of the biggest issues which lead people to point fingers back is people who feel morally higher or or think that they're living the perfect life themselves due to their religion and... Mm -hmm shoot down towards others instead of welcoming others and their imperfections and that then creates a vacuum so as soon as that one person messes up and slips society as a whole is going to get on them or like the, a lot of the scandals that have happened we find out years later and we see kind of the power of sin in and of itself covering one thing up just leads to more problems right so i think it comes on both sides one side shouldn't judge the other for falling short and one side also should be transparent about their shortcomings because we are just human and that go that can be flipped on either side it doesn't matter which side you put each one on right i and agree I, with you i think that's a societal issue in and of itself we're too afraid to talk about our shortcomings, our problems, <clears throat> but we're so quick to quick talk to down. Yeah. I mean, look at our judicial system. That ending of itself can tell you about societal problems like that. Look at our news cycles. Yeah. yeah. And so but that's a different topic for a different day but we're I think approaching all, the politics series guys but i think it so we'll stop beating around the bush about that soon so yeah. that's just a little bit of a foreshadow for the, yeah. the people at home anyway go ahead yeah i well i was about to and what pretty much it just falls back to pride <laughs> the i guess you said that is true yeah i heard the biggest sin if you put well, private blasphemy of God, or at least the big of the seven dev, seven deadly. It's mm -hmm. yeah, because you're prideful in being all high and mighty or hoity-toity, and then doing it from behind, and then everyone else is prideful, like oh yeah, you mess up, we're going to rub it in your face instead of actually help you out. And then right. you're too prideful to admit your shortfall, your yeah. shortcomings, and too prideful to work on them. Yeah. It's it's funny how all this stuff ties together, guys. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, and it, both both sides of the equation are guilty of the same thing, essentially. Right. Okay, well, uh, I'll give my concluding thoughts here, and then we can wrap up this episode. <clears throat> um, so, beyond the controversial aspect of misunderstanding grace, let's talk about what it does for Christians. Um, when properly understood, grace changes you. Imagine a God that created you, knows you better than you know yourself, suffered and died for you, and still chooses to forgive you for your defiance when you sin. It is incredibly profound. If you don't, if you understand this properly, it will motivate you to stop sinning because you don't want to hurt or disappoint this loving father. As the Holy Spirit shines light on your sin, you will have to choose whether to acknowledge your sin and repent or to deny him. And it's so much easier to just live comfortably and to never repent for anything. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 7, verses 13 to 14, quote, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by it, because narrow is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. End quote. St. Paul talks in Romans about fighting against sin is contrary to our nature, because sin is natural to the flesh. But to oppose it and follow the ways of the Spirit is unnatural to us. He also says in Philippians chapter 2, uh, verses 12 to 13, quote, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who, bo who works in you both the will and to do for his good pleasure, end quote. Why would you have to work out your salvation in fear and trembling if all that was required was that you have to say you believe in Jesus? Now, this all probably sounds very hardcore, but that's why the doctrine of grace is so necessary. It reveals how profoundly loving God is to us. On top of this, all these passages back up what James said, that justification is by faith and works, not faith alone. But like Paul said, quote, it is God who works in you both the will and to do for his good pleasure, end quote. So this eliminates the inclination to be self-righteous because we can't ever earn our salvation. This all sets up a system of checks and balances in proper Christian theology that is revolutionary even today. And I'll turn it over to you guys. Yeah, I mean, and pretty much the way I look at it, the reason grace is there is, again, it's a kind of like a parental relationship. Because if you have a parent that just beats you down for every little bad thing you do because you're imperfect, you're it's not a way to live. But right. someone with grace will acknowledge your shortcomings still love you and guide you to grow but also you mess up welcome me back with open arms once you have asked and shown that you are seeking forgiveness right yeah I mean grace is there because it's necessary ultimately yeah. because we're not perfect and we need grace or else we're we're doomed yeah, if um, it wasn't grace, it's damnation all around. 
Yeah, and grace isn't there to be manipulated either. This is what Pastor Mark would call cheap grace. Just the idea that you can just just ask for forgiveness and I mean that's not forgiveness if you're go- if you're intentionally doing something wrong and then asking for forgiveness for it. You don't really feel bad about what you did. You're just abusing grace and you don't it just shows that you don't understand grace. Yeah. And I mean Yeah, that's... basically what I like to call the right before you die loophole. Yeah. Gets closed up. Yeah. And but some people believe that you can do that. Right. It it's like walking up to a judge committing a crime saying, Your Honor, I'm sorry. I won't do it again. I messed up. And then you're in there a week later for the exact same thing. And you yeah. just keep coming back for that. Keep coming back for that. Eventually that judge comes like, you're done. <laughs> yeah. So you, uh, you, you can't lie to yourself and you can't lie to someone higher than yourself. Right. All right. Well, let's, uh, let's do final thoughts. Do you understand the doctrine of grace a little bit better now? Uh, and also, is this doctrine a good reason to reject Christianity? It, if if it wasn't there, I think everybody would reject Christianity. So I don't see it as an issue to reject the religion due to oh yeah no misunderstanding know. yeah oh this guy's forgiving oh oh my I don't want that I don't want anyone to forgive me just beat me down <laughs> nobody nobody does that yeah it- and it. It mainly and just seems like a the misunderstanding of it, and because you'll hear people talk about grace, 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 but not a lot of people actually understand what it is, and right. most people don't think of like handling situations, handling their actions in that. So it's just like, oh, what do we as society do? Yeah, and a lot of the time, the loudest voices will not show that grace, and that is a shortcoming. And so that, I, I think that's where some of the confusion comes from, and also the confusion on once saved, always saved, all that, that creates more disillusionment and forces some people to fall away from something they believe in, because they no longer believe in what they've been told. Right. And I'm not trying to put pour salt in the wound, but I would just say like, if you are in a tradition that puts you in these rabbit holes, uh, these certain ways of thinking that kind of back you into corners and, and create more problems than they solve it might be time to look at other forms of Christianity um, and just kind of, you know, acknowledge that there, because this is something that I had to learn. Obviously there is a lot more to Christianity than the bubble that you grow up in. Yeah. And that's a good thing to live life by. Yeah. Cool. Well, I think that is about it. These two topics uh, I didn't really necessarily intend them to be foils, but they do kind of um, play off of one another. Like one's about sin, one's about grace. It's like two sides of the same coin, and both are necessary to understand. 
Oh, cool. Yeah, they're pretty much core tenets in my book about you got to figure out what you can do, and also you got to figure out can you be forgiven? How do you go about that? Some right. necessary things to understand for right. any religion or even life in general. <clears throat> and again, the specifics of like, how do I um, repent? How do I be forgiven? The specifics of that are going to be answered by your specific denomination. Obviously, different ones are going to have different answers. Uh, if you're in a more formal a high church setting, they're going to have confession and uh, penance, depending on the sin. Uh, it depends on who you're going to, um, who will hear your confession, if they recommend things, or if, or if they just pray for you, or both. Um, other more low church Christian traditions will just have you confess to a friend, um, work through things on your own. And again, as far as the answers to what is the best way to, to do this and whose theological tradition is right and wrong, obviously I've given parts of my opinions, but I'm not here to answer every single question and say, this is the thing you should believe because ultimately up to this point in the show, I've just been trying to get people to understand logically why they should be Christian and then beyond that present them the options of of what's out there and beyond that the rest is your own homework to do because I don't want to answer every single question for you I'm just explaining my journey how I've gotten here how I believe what I believe and why and the rest is up to you basically yeah yeah because, because in that situation i mean the way you do it might differ but the end result should be leading you to a more kind of christian lifestyle and like you could possibly even consider changing to like that one thing get that or you know and changing that as an act itself if you want to get in think of it that way as well yeah and also don't forget everybody that everyone's journey is different no matter your religion no matter everyone's life is innately different we are social beings but we all have a single conscious and spirituality isn't wholesale it's a very personal thing that you can seek guidance for but you have to understand yourself first Right. And even though um, I have my own, obviously my own theological preferences, that doesn't mean that God's grace is only present in one of those forms of Christianity. God is everywhere, omnipresent. So his grace is everywhere, even outside of Christianity, I believe. Um, now, granted, you're, there, there, are, there are pros and cons to certain ways of thinking about God and, and practices and stuff. But ultimately, um, I would never say that God is exclusive to this minute, minute elite elite of Christianity or anything like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm done rambling now. I think we can wrap up. You guys got anything else before we close this one off? Nope. Uh, just once again, don't sell God short. 
if you believe in God. Because if you think only this little bit of Christianity can be shown grace, you're selling your God short once again. And also when a lot of these preachers talk about each other, it's not in a downtrodden way. They are kind of brotherly, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. For especially a lot of the more traditional churches. That's one thing that I didn't see as much in Protestant worldviews. Because they'll call them Catholics or them Orthodox is crazy. Yeah. But yeah, that's really it. Yeah. If not, I'm going to ramble for six more hours. <clears throat> cool. Well, uh, just as another reminder, send in your questions to at facingthegatespod at gmail.com. We're going to do a Q&A episode if we get enough of them. So send them in if you have any questions for any of us or all of us. Um, can be topics related to what we've covered on the show. Um, can be personal questions. It can if if any of the pastors we've interviewed have want to harass us. We're all we're all for it. Um, you can also send it to us on uh, Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Follow us also while you're at it. It's at Facing the Gates on all of those. And um, next week, it, it'll be our fiftieth episode. Uh, Ooh, the big 5-0, time for that midlife crisis. Right, and speaking of which, it's going to be on nihilism, suicide, and the meaning of life. So it'll be a very bright, beautiful episode to talk about. Mm. Ah, yes. Sunshine very, and rainbows. Yes, extremely existential. Prepare your butts. We also have... Uh, I don't know why I started saying prepare your butts for some reason recently, but <laughs> it just happened. Anyway, uh, we do have uh, a big announcement to make next episode as well. Um, so definitely tune in. It's going to be a good one. Bring your antidepressants. It's going to get real grim, real dark. <laughs> right. Don't drink while you listen to it because you'll be way more depressed. Yeah. Actually, I'm going to put a positive spin on it, I think. Hopefully. We'll see. Anyway, um, that all being said, it's been real. It's been fun. It's been real fun. It has. It has been real fun. Fun, it has been. It has been extremely real fun. It's been virtual fun because I'm seeing you guys through the computer. Right. David is very... Ugly. Uh, entertained. Are oh, you not entertained? Okay. Anyway, we're ending this. Uh, thanks for listening. Y'all take care. All See right. Bye. Next episode. Bye. Goodbye.